This week we have the story of Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Law and gospel in this account. Uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, not only literally at night, but spiritually at night as well, isn't he? He's blind. He's in the darkness. He's in his sin. And Jesus is going to emphasize that fact over and over again and call him out of darkness into the light. And so a law and gospel here is that by nature, we are at war with God. We, at, By nature, we love to hide in the darkness, to hide our sins, to hide who we are. But Jesus has come in order to give us the light of his forgiveness. Uh, coming to Jesus means confessing our sins. It means coming into the light and seeing how ugly we spiritually are. Uh, it means risking everything, but it also means that we are saved. It means the forgiveness of sin. So one of the things uh, is to really emphasize the uh, theme of light and darkness that occurs between the speaking of Jesus and Nicodemus. John chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Uh, that phrase in the Gospel of John uh, indicates that Nicodemus was one of the Sanhedrin. We know that uh, specifically later on in John, we were told specifically he was a member of the Sanhedrin as well. Uh, the Sanhedrin was a council of 70 Jews, 70 elders of the Jews who governed the Jewish nation. That began way back in the, in the time of Moses. Perhaps you remember that Moses uh, was having trouble ruling all the people of Israel in the wilderness. And Moses' father-in-law suggested, well, why don't you get some elders, some people that help you with this task of ruling the people? You know, they can take care of some of the things, at least, some of the tasks uh, before, so that you don't have to do everything yourself, be judges, etc. And so Moses appointed 70 elders. And so since the time of Moses, uh, it was always 70 elders who, who ruled over the nation of Israel, sometimes under the king, uh, sometimes under the high priest. Uh, in this case, of course, under the high priest, under the Roman government, but as, as the elders, as the rulers of Israel. Uh, Nicodemus was one of those. One of the things that we probably, it seems kind of odd to us, is that they were not only the political leaders, but also the religious leaders as well. Uh, the nation of Israel, the politics and theology were, of course, intermingled. That's the way that God set it up. We enjoy the the fact that our religion is separated from our politics here in America, and that's good uh, for us and in the time we're living in, but it was not so in Israel. And so uh, it was uh, Nicodemus's job as not only the political, but also the religious leader of Israel to investigate uh, religious teaching and prophets. And uh, when John the Baptist came, some of the Sanhedrin came down to inquire what he, this new preaching was this a, from God, was this according to God? Uh, it was part of Nicodemus's job uh, to validate to inquire about religious teachings however that's not what he's really doing here he's not really doing it in an official capacity we know that because he came at night we continue with verse 2 this man came to jesus by night and said to him rabbi we know that you are a teacher come from god for no one can do these signs that you do unless god is with him jesus answered and said to him most assuredly i say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god uh, notice that light and darkness interplay here right away from the beginning. Uh, Nicodemus comes by night to Jesus, and Jesus responds, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is spiritually blind. Why? Because he has not been born of God. Nicodemus, or Jesus points Nicodemus to being born again of, of water and the spirit. 
Uh, he's going to make that very clear in verse 5 that he's talking about baptism. Nicodemus would be aware not only of John the Baptist and his baptism, but also of the message that John the Baptist preached, repent and be baptized. So even though Jesus doesn't mention repentance specifically here, nevertheless, it's clearly in the background. It's clearly a part of that baptism that Jesus is pointing Nicodemus to, uh, that confession of sins and repentance. Instead of coming at night where you can hide who you are, uh, and Nicodemus didn't think he was trying to hide himself from Jesus. He thought he was trying to uh, hide his discussion with Jesus from his friends in the Sanhedrin, right? He's he's hiding, uh, he's trying to hide his faith in Jesus from other people. But but nevertheless, Jesus says, instead of coming and, and trying to hide who you are and trying to hide your sins, trying to come at night, uh, you need to repent, you need to confess your sins, you need to come into the light. Nicodemus thinks he can compromise, uh, that baptism really isn't necessary. He wasn't baptized by John. At least the implication is that he wasn't baptized by John in the Jordan. And uh, Nicodemus uh, seems to think, well, yeah, we don't need to be baptized. He seems to th think of baptism as optional. And one can understand why uh, growing up as a Jew, a baptism was something new with John the Baptist. Well, baptism wasn't something new with John the Baptist. Baptism was something the Jews used uh, in a different way. Uh, but the idea that Jews themselves needed to be baptized. Uh, the Jewish people used baptism for converts, for Gentiles who wanted to become uh, Jews. Uh, that was not something prescribed in the Old Testament, but it was a custom among the Jews. And so for John the Baptist to come and to say to the Jews, you need to be baptized, was for him to say to them, you're really no better than these Gentiles. You also are sinners and outside the kingdom of God. And you notice how Jesus is really emphasizing that here, once again with Nicodemus. Uh, you need that baptism just as much as the Gentiles. You also are outside of the kingdom of God. You cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thinks that he's a leader within God's kingdom, that he is a part of God's people. And Jesus says, you don't even understand. God's kingdom. You can't even see it. You lack the light because you are coming in the darkness. Uh, Nick, Jesus emphasizes throughout this section the importance of baptism. Uh, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot be a part of God's kingdom without that rebirth. Jesus really emphasizes it there, doesn't he? And Nicodemus thinks that he can compromise. Uh, that baptism really isn't necessary, but Jesus leaves it leaves it clear that there's no way around it. He emphasizes the absolute necessity uh, of baptism. It is, of course, possible to be saved without baptism. A lot of people point to the thief on the cross. Um, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, and there was a, an occasion where someone was saved, as far as we know, without being baptized. Uh, so it is possible to be saved without baptism, but our Lutheran confessions make it clear that even though it's possible to be baptized or to be saved without baptism, it is not possible to be saved while despising baptism, looking down on it. A baptism is a means of grace, a gracious promise from Christ Jesus. Uh, his word is given to us in that baptism. And Nicodemus isn't one who is simply unbaptized right? Uh, he's not one who simply hasn't learned yet or who simply hasn't had a chance yet. Uh, he's heard the preaching of John the Baptist and has rejected it as something he doesn't need. And so in that rejection of baptism, that, that idea that, well, I don't really need that, that's not really necessary, is rejecting even repentance. I am good enough 
uh, by myself. I am a member of the Jewish nation. I am of the children of Abraham. I am a leader of the Jews. Uh, you know, he would have had all these reasons why he didn't need baptism. Uh, and in that rejection of baptism, it, it uh, really uh, Nicodemus is, is saying that he's good enough as he is, uh, that he doesn't need this confession of sins. And Jesus is making it clear that's absolutely incorrect. Uh, Nicodemus needs that baptism. We continue with verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So here Jesus, Nicodemus is kind of like, let's just born again. Uh, maybe never heard of baptism referred to that way. Uh, putting the best construction on Nicodemus's words, we take it that he's really confused. He really just doesn't understand. And Jesus makes it very clear that he's talking about uh, baptism. And, and these are not two separate things unless one is born of water and then, again, later born of the Spirit. Some people separate those two things. There's the, the baptism of water and then later on there's the baptism of the Spirit. These are one and the same thing. You're born of water and the Spirit in the waters of baptism. Uh, the Spirit is given to us in baptism. Verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Uh, Jesus here makes something very clear to us that is completely against our way of thinking, right? He makes it clear that our salvation is not a matter of our will. It's not a matter of our desire. It's not a matter of our effort. It's not a matter of our knowledge. And this, of course, is in the Gospel of John, John chapter 3. In John chapter 1, verse 13, John the Apostle says, Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so Jesus is really emphasizing this here, isn't he? Uh, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is clear. It's not our will, desire, effort, or knowledge. None of these things are going to affect our salvation. It is simply a matter of who we are. We are born in sin. We are born as enemies of God. There is nothing we can do to change that. I often use the example of a snake. When a snake hatches out of its egg, some snakes are born live, but most of them are born in eggs, right? When a snake hatches out of its egg, if that snake is in your house or something, you don't wait to see if it will be a good little snake when it grows up. You crush it. Or at very least, you trap it and put it someplace safe where it's not going to run around your home. Because a snake, by its nature, bites and kills. Even little snakes, they probably can't harm us, but uh, they harm other instances. That is its nature. Our nature by birth is that of sin and evil. We cannot change it. It's not a matter of our desire or of our knowledge. All the things that man looks to to make this world a better place or to affect his own salvation are useless. That which is a born of flesh is flesh. Uh, because you are born a human, you are a sinner. You must be born again. That which is born of the Spirit, that alone can live to God. Uh, Paul, of course, tells us the natural man does not understand the things of God. His nature is contrary to God. And so Jesus is really emphasizing this uh, to Nicodemus. Your knowledge, your birth, your will, none of these things are going to make any difference. You're not going to understand me or the things I'm telling you until uh, you are born again of water and the Spirit. And Jesus continues, verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
Uh, those who are born of the Spirit have the Spirit of God and the knowledge of God. Uh, they follow God, uh, but those who are not born again cannot understand them. Uh, just like you cannot see the wind, uh, you cannot see or understand God's will. And the Spirit acts. Uh, the Spirit acts in the way that He acts. Uh, we are not mindful of the things of God. Uh, Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. So who is this we? A lot of people think that Jesus is here referring to the Trinity, uh, himself, the Father, the Spirit, uh, testify, witness, and, and Nicodemus does not understand his witness. Uh, in the general rule of thumb with pronouns is you look back for the nearest antecedent, right? And the nearest antecedent here to the we is everyone who is born of the Spirit, uh, which certainly would have included Jesus. Uh, as a man, of course, he was baptized, born again of the Spirit. Uh, as God, he was one with the Spirit. And so that would imply that Jesus is talking, is still talking about those who are born of the Spirit. We witness and testify what we know. All those who are born of the Spirit do know the things of God and do witness and testify uh, to them. This fits in with uh, Nicodemus's own words. He he calls Jesus a teacher come from God. And so the the we here that might very well be Jesus simply referring to that you called me a teacher from god well you don't understand the the prophets and the apostles yet and of course uh john himself later on the apostle john is going to refer to he's going to re use almost the same words that jesus uses uh, we testify what we have seen and we and we witness what we have seen and what we, we have handled with the, the word of truth uh, the very words that Jesus is about to, to talk about, the very same words that Jesus is, is going to use. So that seems to, to fit in here as well. Uh, Jesus may well have been thinking of, of him, himself primarily and John the Baptist. The witness of John the Baptist was right there before Nicodemus and he wasn't accepting it. He wasn't receiving it. So it may have been that Jesus was specifically thinking of that. Is it possible that Jesus is referring to himself in the Trinity? Uh, it's possible. But again, the, the rule of thumb with pronouns is you look back to the nearest antecedent that fits. And the nearest antecedent here would be everyone who is born of the Spirit. Notice this is an exclusive we. In other words, when Jesus says we, he is not including Nicodemus. Nicodemus is not part of that we. And Jesus makes that very clear because you do not receive our witness. Uh, Nicodemus is outside that we. He is not one who has been born of the Spirit. And that is why he does not understand these things. Again, that spiritual blindness as opposed to the light uh, that is to those given to those who are born again from God. Uh, everyone who is born of Spirit, they understand these things that Jesus is talking about because it has been revealed to them by the Spirit. But Nicodemus, uh, he is not a part of that. He is still in darkness. Uh, verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. Uh, we so often want to contradict Jesus by our own thinking. And of course, that's what Nicodemus is doing here. He's like, I, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't know if I can believe it. Uh, and Jesus is, is almost scornful of that attitude. He says, I'm the one who has been to heaven, and therefore I'm the only one who can tell you the way to heaven. I often use the example with the students that, well, you, you know, can any of you tell me how to get from 
uh, Chennai, for example, to Chennai, which is in Tamil Nadu in India, uh, up to uh, Delhi, which is up in northern India. Well, no, they can't tell me how to get from Chennai to, to Tamil Nadu. They've never been there. But I can tell them, uh, I can tell them exactly which roads they would need to take if they want to drive there because I have been there. Uh, we've never been to heaven. We can't understand the things of heaven or the way to heaven. But the Son of Man, he has come down from heaven. Uh, and so he can tell us the way back. He's been there and he can tell us the things of it. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Uh, so far, Nicodemus has not been able to follow. He's not been able to understand what Jesus is, is talking about. Jesus points him to an illustration. He knew well the story of the bronze serpent in the wilderness, uh, how the children of Israel complained against God, and he sent fiery serpents amongst them. And then when they cried to him for help, Moses set up a bronze serpent. And whoever looked at the serpent, all they had to do was lift up their head and look at the serpent, and they would be saved from the bite of the fiery uh, serpents that were among them. The bronze serpent is such a great example. It's such a great illustration of what Jesus has done for us because all the people had to do was look at him. And so our salvation is given to us freely through Jesus Christ. All we have to do is look up and trust, believe in Jesus Christ hanging on that cross. Whoever looks at him will be saved from their sin. It's nothing that we do. Oh, we talk about looking at him, but you know, even that faith itself is a gift from God, Paul tells us in Ephesians. It's nothing we do, but is purely a gift from God. God so loved the world. That word so is often misunderstood. A lot of people misunderstand it, mean uh, God so loved the world. In, in other words, this is how much he loved the world. That's not, I mean, that's true. Uh, and it's good to say, okay, how much did he love the world? He loved the world this much that he sent his son to die for us, right? But that's really not what the passage is saying. Uh, the passage is saying, in this way, God loved the world. So it's not talking about the extent of his love. Uh, this is how great his love is. But he's telling us what he did because of his love. And there's an important uh, lesson there as well that love is not, in scripture, love is not a feeling. Love is an action. God doesn't say, well, I love you guys. I hope you make it up here to heaven, right? Uh, but God says, I love you in this way that I died for your sins. Uh, the love is the action. They're, they're not separate things. God loved the world and gave himself for it. That is his love for the world. God loved the world. You know, every, every word in this verse is just pure gold, isn't it? God loved the world. Universal justification. He didn't die just for some, but for all. Jesus came for all people. His death is applicable to all people. And because he saved all people by his death, therefore I know that I am saved. How do I know that Jesus died for me? Because he died for the world and I am part of the world. Uh, that he who believes, earlier we saw how Jesus emphasized the importance of baptism. Uh, you must be born again of the water and the spirit uh, to enter the kingdom of God. But here Jesus makes it clear that it is faith which saves. And the, the story of the bronze serpent makes that clear too. Those who look to Jesus. Uh, and so it emphasizes what we were saying before, that baptism baptism uh, is not 
absolutely necessary for salvation, right? One can be baptized like the thief on the cross, even without baptism. What saves us is faith. However, the despising of baptism is a rejection of Christ and of faith and of believing in him. Uh, so the rejection of baptism is a refusal to confess our sins, to acknowledge that I need it, uh, as we were talking about before. But here Jesus makes it very clear. He who believes is saved. He who does not believe is condemned already. Uh, notice how this passage makes it clear that that verdict is already ours. We are already saved or condemned. Uh, Jesus talks about the, the judgment day, the day on which he will uh, separate the sheep from the ghost. But the judgment day is not the day on which the judgment is made. The judgment is made now. Those who have faith have been forgiven, have been judged righteous, have been declared not guilty. We already have received the verdict from God the Father. You are not guilty. Uh, judgment day is simply the day in which Jesus makes that verdict clear to the whole world. She declares it uh, in, in a way that everyone can hear from his own lips. But the, the judgment has already been made through Jesus Christ. That whosoever, uh, that word there, makes it, it means that it is freely available to anyone. Whoever, whoever believes, anyone uh, can receive this gift from Christ. Uh, he gives it freely to all. But it also, unfortunately, makes it clear that there are some who do not believe and therefore are condemned. Uh, so it's a wonderful, it's a it's a word of gospel and of judgment in the one word, isn't it? Uh, that anyone can receive this, uh, yet uh, there are those who will reject it and therefore will not receive the salvation that Jesus offers. And this, verse 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. And here, once again, we kind of finish where we started with that picture of light and dark. Uh, you know, I, I have to imagine that these words of Jesus is here really stung Nicodemus. And perhaps that's why this is the end of the conversation, or at least the end of the conversation that John records for us. Uh, because Nicodemus was one who came by night. And now Jesus is sitting here saying, well, whoever comes by night, uh, you know, he's oh, love darkness. Uh, be, they come because their deeds were evil. I, unless Nicodemus is really, really dense, you know, he must have realized what Jesus was hinting at here. Uh, stop sneaking around and, and coming to me at night, literally and metaphorically, but figuratively, but rather come to me in the light, uh, literally and figuratively, not trying to hide your sins, but openly confessing those sins. Be Repent and be baptized that your deeds may clearly be seen. And when our deeds are clearly seen, we are seen as sinners, but we are also washed through Jesus's blood. So you might ask the, the, the students, how is it that we sometimes still try to come to Jesus by night the way that Nicodemus does? Uh, how is it that we sometimes try to hide our sins from God and from one another uh, instead of confessing honestly and clearly that we are chief of sinners and need Jesus' forgiveness just as much as anyone else? Lord's blessings on your Sunday school lesson. As always, let me know if you have any questions.